Now, this past Friday night was a very special night in the life of our church, Grace Fellowship. That's because on Friday night, donors and givers, brothers and sisters from all four campuses came together at Grace Half Moon to celebrate the grand opening of the new 8,000-square-foot ministry space we have there. Praise God. That means that we're officially completed with phase one of the 2020 vision campaign, and we're moving into phase two. Thank you to everyone who's been so faithful and giving over the past year and a half or so to the 2020 vision campaign. It's so exciting. It's so exciting to see what God's doing in this campaign and what he will do in the future. And our audio and video team was there on Friday night to capture some of the sights and sounds of the evening. And we're going to watch a video about that in just a minute. But as we do, I would encourage you to open your heart and thanks and in praise to God for what he has allowed us to do, you and me as Grace Fellowship Church, in the good work that he's doing here in the capital region to, to bring souls into the kingdom of God and to draw brothers and sisters closer to Jesus Christ. We get to do that right here in our own backyard. So let's give God glory now as we watch this video together. so exciting. Very, very exciting to be a part of that celebration on uh, Friday evening at our Half Moon campus. And again, we just can't say enough times, thank you to all of you who are on this journey with us, this 2020 vision journey, as we move from now that first phase to now beginning to work on the next phases in the process of the 2020 vision. Somebody wrote, I am hereby officially tendering my resignation as an adult. I've decided I would like to accept the responsibility of an eight-year-old again. I want to go to McDonald's and think it's a four-star restaurant. I want to sail sticks across a fresh mud puddle and think M&Ms are better than money because you can eat them. I want to lie under a big oak tree and run a lemonade stand with my friends on a hot summer day. I want to return to a time when life was simple. I want to think the world is fair, that everyone is honest and good. I want to believe that anything is possible. 
I want to be oblivious to the complexities of life and be overly excited about the little things again. I want to believe in the power of smiles and hugs and a kind word. And I want to make angels in the snow. So, here's my checkbook and my car keys, my credit card bills and my 401k statements. I am officially resigning from adulthood. And if you want to discuss this further, you'll have to catch me first because tag, you're it. Now, I really like that. Because I honestly believe that buried somewhere under the layers, somewhere deep inside, is a child in every one of us. And it may be that we were encouraged by our parents, teachers, and others to grow up a little too quickly. We're kind of too quick to move away from some of the joys and wonders of childhood. You know, we come to a passage today in Luke 18 that has always been one of my favorites. But I got to tell you, I believe when Jesus said these things, I think he, he really shocked his hearers. And I think some of them left kind of scratching their heads. In Matthew's gospel, this episode was prompted by a question. So if you read that parallel in Matthew you'll see that a question was asked, Lord, who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? In the kingdom of God, who is the greatest? And then Jesus went into this teaching in Matthew's version of it. No wonder the psalmist declared, from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Throughout the Bible, what you'll see is, yes, there is an obvious naivete and an obvious immaturity with children, but don't let that fool you. Consistently, throughout Scripture, there's something virtuous and wonderful. There's something about children that God wants us to to pause and try to capture. Robert Fulham wrote, most of what I need to to know about how to live and what to do and and how to be. (laughs) I learned in kindergarten. Wisdom was not to be found at the top of the graduate school mountain, but there in the sandbox at the nursery school. These are some of the things I learned, he writes. Share everything, play fairly, don't hit people, put things back where you found them, clean up your own mess, Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. And when you go into the world, watch for the traffic. Hold hands and stick together. I know there's a lot of truth in that. So much of the most important lessons in life that we need to navigate on this journey, we really learn very, very early, don't we? I'm intrigued by a practice that A.W. Tozer had. You've heard me mention him many times. He's one of my favorite writers and theologians from a a bygone era. And he was pastor in Chicago and then Toronto for many years. And and people who knew Tozer well watched him on Sunday. He didn't have a lot of space. He didn't have a lot of tolerance for small talk. He was just notorious for that. And so he, he really didn't like to hang out in the lobby after the services, to be honest. And so he was known to go into 
the nursery, into the children area where kids were, and he would watch the workers there working with them, and he would just kind of watch these children, and he said often, when asked, why do you do that? And he said, well, I honestly learn more from watching children than I do from all the deep theological tomes on my bookshelves. Jesus said in Luke 18, if we're going to be his followers, we need to become like little children. But the question is, what in the world did he mean by that? Now, you could spend days, weeks, months researching that, I promise you. When I did my doctoral work, I, a lot of it was surrounding the role of children in the church and salvation for children and where do children fit in the church and so on. I explored the soteriology and the ecclesiology of children. And I want to tell you that is a very interesting subject. But what did Jesus mean when he urged us, look, you need to become like children. That's what I want to explore with you for the minutes we have today. Now, we're taught that childhood is a state of immaturity we ought to grow out of. And certainly there's truth in that. You know what Paul wrote? The Apostle Paul wrote, look, when I became a man, what? I put childish ways behind me. And yes, God does want us to put childish ways behind us. So what does Jesus mean here when he talks about becoming like a child if we really want to enter the kingdom? Well, let's unpack these verses. And I want to then highlight three virtues of most children, three characteristics of children that I think we need to seriously consider making a part of our lives if they're not already. Verse 15 reads, people were also bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. Now, if you read the Bible commentaries, and I hope you are reading some of these along with us that are contributing to this series, all of them agree on this fact. It was common in this culture for parents to bring their children anywhere from newborn up to a few years old, to rabbis to have them pray over them, bless them, lay their hands on them in a symbolic way of conferring a blessing to these children. Every commentator agrees on that. And so that's what's happening here in this passage. When the disciples saw this, verse 15 goes on to say, they rebuked them. Now here's the question. Why would the disciples seem so mean here? <laughs> Why would they be so unfriendly to these parents and these children who are just wanting to come and hang out with Jesus a little bit? Why would they do that? We really come down on the disciples here. Well, I believe they're actually, their motives are good. I think they're trying to protect Jesus. They know that the pressure is mounting in his life and ministry. They know there's some people out to get him. There are lots of critics around, people lying in wait, as it were, to try to sabotage him, his reputation, and all that he's doing. And so they're trying to take some of the pressure off. They see that he's a bit overloaded, much like perhaps the mom of small children who's married to a head football coach during football season might say, okay, kids, kind of 
kind of take it easy on dad these days. He's got a lot of pressure on him right now. And so for the season, when the pressure is on, you kind of take it easy. And these disciples are saying, look, don't bother Jesus. He's got a lot to think about, more than you would ever know. But Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Mark's gospel is even more descriptive. It says he took them in his arms, he held them, he cuddled these children and showed affection. And then verse 17, I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God, this is so strange, like a little child, will never enter it. Folks, I'm going to tell you, that's strange to me. It's mysterious. It feels paradoxical. But when you think about it, there are a lot of paradoxes, are there not, in the Christian life? The Bible says if we want to be exalted, we need to humble ourselves. If we want to be first, we want to be last. If we want to receive, we need to learn to give, right? All kinds of paradoxes in the Christian life, and today's teaching seems to be one of the supreme paradoxes, that the way to a really excellent, mature, spiritual life is in somehow to become like a little child. So with that said, I want to spend a few minutes now just discussing three qualities that most children have, most, that we would do well to recapture as we're getting older. First of all, a childlike life is a life filled with wonder. Wonder is that first quality. Would you agree with me on that? The most kids you know, your own children or other kids you see, many of you are teachers, perhaps you would agree, when a child is really young, their life is just full, they're wide-eyed with wonder. But what happens? <laughs> As we grow older, the world has a way of beating the wonder out of us, doesn't it? Especially hardships, pain. We get a front row seat to the evil and suffering in the world. And that wonder begins to evaporate from our soul. And if we're not careful, as we grow older, not only do we lose the wonder... But we actually can become hardened and cynical about other people who seem to have wonder or people who seem to get excited and be joyful. We get annoyed by happy Christians, for God's sake. How can you be like that? And we honestly have lost the wonder, and it's largely because of all the harsh realities around us. Well, here's the lesson today. If that's you, if that's me, Jesus really wants to transform our personalities by removing, eradicating that harshness and cynicism and that dull life that we've kind of settled into, and he wants to begin to replace that, I believe, with some childlike awe and wonder over the things of God. Jesus said it like this, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will not enter it. But Pastor Rex, 
aren't there hardships and difficulties and disappointments? Are you kidding me? They're everywhere. I have them constantly. But what are we supposed to do when those come? We face them as realities. We lean especially hard. This is what I try to do. I try to lean especially hard into God and say, God, never let me lose the wonder of it all. Hey, can I just be real personal for a moment? If you come to worship or if you walk this walk with Jesus Christ through your daily life and you never get goosebumps anymore, as you think about the amazing wonders of God, if you never get that sense of a chill, if you never get a tear running down your face when you think about the awesome grace and love and power of Almighty God, I'd say it's time for you to recapture wonder in your life. For God's sake, please, for your sake, don't go through the rest of your life living a dull sort of stringent, harsh existence. Ask God to restore the wonder. The psalmist cries out in Psalm 17, show the wonder of your great love. The Gospel of Mark says in chapter 9, as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to meet him. There's a wide-eyed wonder about the greatness of God and the vastness of his creation and the awesomeness of his work in our lives. So let me ask you, as you go through your life day by day and as you gather for worship where we focus for an hour or more and we really put our gaze on God, let me ask you, How much wonder is there for you? Has it just become old hat? Is it just a dead, tired ritual for you? You see, when we come to that point, we're ready for revival. When it's become old hat and just dead and dry and desiccated and lifeless, God wants to do a renaissance, a renewal in our lives. We need to become a bit like a child again. Isaiah the prophet writes about an occasion when the Lord said to him, These people come near to me with their mouth, but they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made only of rules taught by men. You ever been there? Dead. Legalistic dry, predictable, a cold relationship with God. The mouth says the right things. You could check off all the right orthodoxy boxes. I believe this and this and this and this. But there's no passion. There's no joy. There's no wonder. What's the antidote to that? Well, the next verse, Isaiah 29, 14 reads, Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with the wonder Upon wonder, the wisdom of the wise will perish, the intelligent will vanish. And if you believe in your own heart of hearts that you've come to one of those dry places, I would urge you today to ask God to restore the wonder again. I love the book of Acts, chapter 3 especially, where the man who's at the temple gate is healed. And he's praising God, 
and a crowd quickly gathers, and here's how it reads, they recognized him as the man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had had happened to him. May that be true of us. As we see the mighty works of God, as we see what God is doing in us, even if it's not spectacular, may we be filled with wonder again. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. But I want to highlight another virtue that many children also greatly desire and pursue. A childlike life is secondly a life of risk. Children need and enjoy risk. John Eldridge, in one of his books, writes about how boys need to take risk if they're going to be real boys, as he says, and become healthy men. Now, we as parents, we're protective. And our children want to learn to ride a bike or go on a trip or play a sport, and we perceive it to be dangerous, and so we want to protect them. We don't want them to be away from home for an extended time. And most of us parents, during those seasons... When they're learning that new sport, playing that game, riding that bike, we're on pins and needles. But once we get a grip, we let them ride that bike. We usually let them play that sport. We let them take that trip because they need the fun and growth and joy of taking some reasonable risk in life. Most Christ followers I know eventually begin to start playing it safe in their journey with Christ. I've observed it over many years now. People come to Christ and at first they're filled with wonder and they want to take risks for God and they're filled with this awesome newness of the life of Christ. But over time, inevitably, listen, we begin to play it safe. And many times we're unwilling to step out on the edge of faith and take some reasonable God-sized risk for the kingdom. Have you ever watched children, when they get to a certain age, and they're old enough to kind of make or earn some money of their own, have you ever watched this in a young person? They will often save and save and save because they've set their eye on something they really want. And they'll save their money and save their money, and then suddenly, we're happy when they're saving it, Good practice right there. Keep on saving. That'll do you well, that practice. But then they take all that they've saved and they buy some. They spend it on one thing that they've been wanting. And we think, oh, how foolish. What a risk. You're just spending it all on that one thing. Are your kids like that? And we say to them, man, that's irresponsible, but you'll grow up one day. But you know, that's exactly what Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus taught there's a man who found a treasure in a field, and for joy at finding this treasure, he went out and spent all that he had to buy it. And just to make sure they didn't miss the lesson, then he said a guy was searching for pearls, and he found a pearl of great price, and he took all that he had, he sold everything, and he put it all into that pearl of great price. 
There's a riskiness in that. Following Jesus is a risky kind of life in the sense that faith is all about that. You bet it all, as it were, that he is the pearl of great price, the treasure that is worth it all. And you can never live the Christian life until you're willing to give up everything for Christ and take risk. I tell you, brothers and sisters, you will have a dull, mundane, predictable, somewhat lifeless experience unless you're in the habit of exercising faith and learning to take some God-sized risk in your life. You'll never give. You'll never give much beyond what just seems really safe. You'll never try much and get out of your comfort zone and go on a mission trip unless it just all seems so safe and so predictable. You never reach out across racial lines, across socioeconomic lines, and build a friendship with someone or try to help someone unless it seems really, really safe. And, oh, I, I, I don't want to risk getting burned here. How dull. How dull. God wants us to take some God-sized risk. C.T. Studd was a wealthy Englishman. He was a great cricket player. For those of you who don't know what cricket is, cricket is similar to baseball. It's a little different. But uh, many believe that baseball was kind of created based on cricket and some of the rules of uh, principles of cricket. But he was a great cricket player. He played for England in the late, 19th and early 20th centuries. And C.T. Studd was very wealthy and a great athlete. And he came to Christ. He was converted to Christ through the ministry of D.L. Moody in the late 1800s. And wouldn't you know it, he sensed a call to be a missionary. So when his cricket playing days were over, C.T. Studd became a missionary. But he was a single young man. He was about to get married, felt this call on his life. And he felt something that's a bit unusual. It was risky. He literally gave away all of his wealth. I mean, it was vast wealth. He gave it away. But he kept back 10,000 pounds. That was quite a bit of money in those days. He said he kept it back for emergencies. And he explained to his then fiance, they were planned to get married. He said, look, I, I kept back some just for when we get married, just in case we need it. You will not believe what she said to him. I, I haven't seen many people like this, men or women. She said, Charlie, that's what she called him. That's what the C stands for. Charlie, it's the money or me. You don't marry me until every penny is gone. And they gave it all away. <laughs> because that's the kind of life of risk they believed God was calling them to. In his diary later, as they were living literally in a tent in Congo, in Central Africa, ministering for Jesus Christ, C.T. Studd wrote in his diary, funds are low again, hallelujah. This means God trusts us and is willing to leave his reputation in our hands. What a great spirit of risk-taking for God. 
A childlike life is a life of wonder. It's a life of risk. And finally, a childlike life is a life of faith. Most commentators who comment on these passages believe that perhaps, perhaps the key thing, perhaps the key thing that Jesus really was getting at when he said become like a little child is to have the faith, the simple trust that many small children have. They find it easy to believe in God. There's an innocent trust. David Heller did his doctoral thesis on children and religion. And he collected a number of letters that children wrote to God. One child wrote, Dear God, my grandma just died. Please take care of her for me. Her name is Grandma. One of my favorites is, Dear God, my dad thinks he's you. Straighten him out. Dear God, I learned in school that you can make butterflies out of caterpillars. I think that's cool. What can you do for my sister? She's ugly. <laughs> a little boy named Elliot wrote, Dear God, I think about you sometimes, even when I'm not praying. A girl named Nora wrote, I don't ever feel alone, God, since I found out about you. And a boy named Eugene wrote, I didn't think orange went with purple until I saw the sunset you made on Tuesday. It was cool. So let me ask you, I, I don't know your journey. I, I may not even know you or your story. But let me ask you, do you, do you have a robust faith in Jesus Christ today? Or do you find it really hard to exercise faith in him? If you ask preachers who've studied the history of preaching, who's the greatest preacher, many of them would point to a man who lived in London in the late 1800s named Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He, my mentor, Dr. Lewis Drummond, wrote a massive tome. It's, the, it's, it's, the, it's probably the definitive biography on Charles Spurgeon because he was president of, of Spurgeon College for a number of years. And Dr. Drummond wrote about Spurgeon and had access to all of his personal things and so on in the role he was in. And I want to read to you what Charles Haddon Spurgeon, often called the Prince of Preachers, wrote during his ministry in 1886. I quote, I will say broadly that I have more confidence in the spiritual life of the children that I have received into this church than I have in the spiritual condition of the adults thus received. I will go even further than that. I have usually found a clearer knowledge of the gospel and a warmer love to Christ in child converts than in man converts. I will astonish you even more by saying that I have sometimes met with a deeper spiritual experience in children of 10 and 12 than I have in persons of 50 and 60. Some are old when they're young and some are very green when they're old. Capacity for believing lies more in the child than in the man. We grow less rather than more capable of faith. Little child hears about Jonah and the big fish, or it reads about some miracle that Jesus did in the Bible, and they just go, Wow, that's great. We 
we read the same thing and we start trying to find loopholes, trying to explain it away, wonder if it's really real. Something happens along the way in life. And it's so easy for our capacity for faith to begin to weaken. And I think Spurgeon's words echo that very reality. We begin to wonder about the promises of God, don't we? How can I be sure he's going to work in all things for my good? Boy, it sure didn't seem to work for that martyred missionary I read about. How do, I, how do I know that God's really got a good plan for my life? Because I experience unpleasant things. How, how can I be so sure of that? How can I know that God is really sovereign and he's working a plan in this world? Because it seems to me, as I look out, that things are kind of chaotic and spinning out of control. How do I know the Bible is true? There's some really brilliant people who question that. How do I know there's life after death? Maybe that's just wishful thinking. Jesus says, to, to be pleasing to God, I want you to have a childlike faith. It doesn't mean you don't ask questions, hard questions. But at the end of it all, when you come to the end that all you can find through your empirical research, you take one more step it's a humble step, and there's where we stumble. Because to come to the end of all your research and all that your empirical senses can tell you and all that your brain can discover through your fine research, and then you're left still without definitive proof, then you still realize that faith has to be exercised after all, don't you? And that's where so many of us as adults stumble. And so there's where I want to leave you today, honestly. I want to leave you with that question and that challenge. If you've come to the end of all the light you have and you've got questions still that you just really want answers to, it's great to have questions. Don't, don't be bothered by that. Don't, don't feel bad about that. But here's the question that begs to be answered in your life and mine. When we've come to the end of all that we can figure out on our own, are we then willing to take one more step? No, it's not a leap. It's not a leap, unlike many have said. It's not a leap of faith. It's not that big, honestly. It's more like a, can I say it? It's more like a baby step. But you do have to take a step of faith. Because you can never come to God unless faith is exercised. And I believe that's at the heart of what Jesus meant. You will never enter the kingdom unless you come as a little child. So let me end today with his words once more. Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child, just that baby step of faith, will never enter it. Father, thank you that you've given us minds to pursue truth. 
reasoning ability to analyze the data and all the empirical evidence we can conjure up. But what we find is that that leaves us still with questions unanswered. And we still need a baby step of faith. And so I pray today, to those who are on that edge, they've come to that point. Would you give them the faith, Lord, to take that baby step? To become like a little child, to step by faith into your arms and say, Lord, I do believe. I do believe. And I place my trust in you. Would you fill me with wonder? Would you lead me in taking appropriate God-sized risk? And would you continue to bolster my faith in you as I live for you day by day? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.